Okay, we are live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark Romeo. I'm your host. I'm here with my partner um, in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? Looking forward to this great guest we have, a, a New York uh, transplant down to Florida, but he's got a great story. Um, our guest tonight, we're excited to have him. He's a retired FBI agent. He's also a no, not FBI. He's, fe he's a federal drug enforcement. I was customs, customs, customs U.S. customs, customs yeah, uh, one out of three. U.S. customs agent, uh, but he's also a Hall of Fame junior college basketball coach. He has a book he's written entitled "Inside Both Courts." Let's welcome tonight, Bob Starkman. <laughs> Thanks, man. So appreciate it, and I'm glad to be here. Did I say it right? Yeah, one out of three ain't bad. Starkman. <laughs> Look, look, man. He wants to be a comic too. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh man, I, I just can't, every time I'm looking at your name, I think I think of um, uh, the, the, the Nick John um, Stockton. Oh no, Starks. John Starks. Yeah, yeah. I do. His, uh, he's a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Bob is a, a huge uh, Dave DeBusha fan. Oh yeah. You remember Dave DeBusha, Mark? Or you're probably too young. Well, I remember his name, but uh, 1969. It was Bill Bradley, Dave DeBusha, right? Uh, Walt Reed, Frazier, Willis Dick Reed, Barnett. and Dick Barnett, right? Yeah, I've Kathy had the Russell, a whole bunch of guys. Yeah, I've had the honor of being in Wolf, Walt Frazier's company at least three times. I have several pictures with him because I uh, do. I tell jokes at uh, John Stark's celebrity golf um, outings. Okay, and uh, I, I I get invited to the bowling tournament. I just got another invite right now, but I get to, I met I met all those guys. Well, not not the ones uh, Wolf Frazier I met, but all the the Knicks that John played with. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's a pretty great who, name. Who, you? Who's who's that handsome guy on the screen? It's about thirty pounds ago. <laughs> you mean, wait a minute, thirty? Come on, what do you think? We're stupid. Look at the mitts on him. Look at look at that mitts on him. Look at them. Look at his hands. <laughs> you're, you're six foot five, right, Bob? Yeah. And you have a son who's six ten. My son Rob is six ten. My daughter's six foot one. My little son is six foot three. And my daughter wow. was the basketball player. Yeah. The six foot ten guy never played hoops, he right? Played basketball. He um he actually started a company. He has one of the largest sock companies, Rockham Apparel, and uh, wow. he's making a lot more money with if he was playing ball. And my little one was a baseball player, and he works with the Atlanta Hawks. No shit. Yeah, my daughter was the basketball player. She's married with children now, you know. <laughs> Did you dunk? Yeah, I could I? Back then, yeah. Oh, yeah, a long time ago, yeah. Yeah. I, no, like I, I could dunk. I was 6'1", and I could dunk. Really? They, they call me the great white leaper. All right. <laughs> I was 6'4". I'm just kidding. I could dunk, though. <laughs> I, I played high school basketball. I'm 6'4", and I couldn't dunk. Once in a while, it, it looked like I dunked it, but I, I, I just couldn't grip the ball. So, um. My coach used to say to me, you run like you hate the earth. <laughs> Lead feet, huh? Yeah. He used to tell me, don't trip over the lines on the court. <laughs> Bob, tell us about uh, – now. You, I know you always wanted to go beyond the NYPD, but yeah. for whatever happened, the timing never worked out, and right. you wound up getting the job. Well, first you worked in corrections, right? Yeah, what and happened? you worked at one of the worst state prisons in New York, right? Tell us a little bit about well, that. I, you know – I, I told you how I read that article about Ralph Friedman. It was really interesting. I didn't even know who he was. We we're out in the Hamptons, and I just found it very intriguing. And it kind of, you know, gave me a little uh, incentive to take a police test. And my friends also, 
Uh, I was taking all the tests. That was like 77 or 76. I guess, you know, the fiscal years weren't too good there, you know, the timing. Uh, so I would take every test that would come out, you know, by the civil chief, see what tests was being given. I took everything. I took, uh, first thing to call me was state correction. Uh, that was 79 or 80, but there was a strike going on and I wasn't going to go be a scab. You know, they wanted to fly in. I, I wasn't going to do it. So okay. I waited. And then the following, it was uh, July of 80. I was actually a bouncer in a bar out in Long Island and uh, finally got called and I, I get this letter, you know, report to Albany. I get up to Albany on a Thursday. We're in the academy two days. Next thing you know, okay, you report to Greenhaven. I don't know how many of us was. We were called the two-day wonders. It was the first time they ever did that. But reality is you learn the job that way, you know, especially in a prison, you know. So I report to Greenhaven Prison. And uh, I had been there previously. We went up with a basketball team to play against the inmates. But it was a lot easier to know, you know, we were leaving. But when you're working, you know, it's, it's a different environment. It really does. And, and it really, I, I think it kind of molds you. You know, if you can make it there, you can make it because you're among them in their own city, the inmates. Yeah. And there, I actually, the first day, I was like, we walked in, there was a lockdown. It was, I mean, it looked like a James Cagney movie. You know, cells, you know, the burning, the smoke, the mattresses. And funny story, uh, we're walking in the yard and they match you up. And I happened to be next to this young lady. She's a really pretty lady. And you can imagine the vulgar statements that were coming from the inmates. And she turns around and she says to me, were they talking to me? I said, they sure as hell weren't talking to me, you know? And then I'm like, it's, and I'm a big guy, and it's still scary. I don't care who you are. You know, if you say you weren't scared, you're a liar. And then, long story short, uh, I go up to one of the uh, cells. They're giving us a tour, and I see my buddy Carl. And Carl's, he's got the cigarettes wrapped up, and Carl's a big dude, you know. And my nickname was Stitch. And he turns around and goes, Stitch, what's up? I said, hey, this job's going to be fun. So from that moment on, I just adjusted, and, you know, I took that as a stepping stone. And if I had to stay, I would have made a career there because I was, you know, seeking to move on. I was there for a while, went back to the academy. We had a short academy a few months later. Uh, like I said, it was an amazing experience, you know, because in Greenhaven at the time, I, th I think there was like 1,900 inmates, and I think three quarters were doing like double life sentences. So you, you learn, you know. Isn't that the prison where the um, the uh, correction officer was raped and murdered by yeah. a uh, lifer? Two days yeah. Yeah. I was gone already, and one of my buddies, uh, Danny Dolan, who later became a cop, he couldn't come to my wedding. They were all locked in the jail. They wouldn't let him out. So fast forward the clock. Uh, I'm there a couple months, nine months, ten months. I get called by city correction. I'm, uh, I remember you know, I had a report to the academy on Monday, whatever it was, and I remember driving on the Interboro Parkway, and uh, I was coming home. We were going to my wife's friend's house, and I remember looking at the uh, – the Queen's House of Detention, I said, man, I said, it's going to take me 10 years to get to that place. I'm in the academy. The fifth day, I thought I was in trouble, like Stockman, come here. Like they called a few of us, right? Queen's House, Monday morning. So I thought I was going for like on-the-job training. Right. But that was being, I was certified by the state and somewhat experienced. They put me in the Queen's House. So I kind of lucked out. I'm there a couple months. Next thing I know, I'm working a special housing unit. So I had the worst of the worst. I had the cop killers. Matter of fact, the, uh, I used to call it the celebrities. Remember the uh, the one that killed Scarangello and and uh, and Rainey. Shot Rainey. Yeah, the yeah. LeBoy in New York. I had those. You name it, they were all there. Yeah. Upstairs, we had guys that were locked up. Some law enforcement, you know, the snitches, the you know, the protective custody. So I did that for a while, and then uh, 
I, I was doing some overtime and these guys come in and they, you know, it's working a Sally port. They were bringing a prisoner in and they flashed his tin on me. And I'm like, they go sheriff's department. It would look like a detective shield. And I'm like, you know, what the part, what sheriffs? They go, New York. I go, New York. I knew it's Suffolk, Nassau. I didn't know, you know, upstate New York. They go, New York City. I thought I took every test in the world. So how'd you get that job? And it's like the best kept secret. I said, how can I get it? They go, we have an opening, get a resume. Now there's no computers and you have to sit home typing like, you know, the old uh, days. I put in a resume and I got the job. Wow. You know, I just took it for one reason. At the time, I think there was only like 25 deputies in the city, but it was on parity with correction, you know, the, the uniform services, Monday through Friday. But I knew I wasn't going to stay there because my, you know, my goal was to go to NYPD. That's what I always wanted. I'm on vacation. I'm there about a year and a half. I'm on vacation in California. I totally forgot about the customs job, you know, and I'll never forget. Stop in a hotel room for the night. I turn on the TV. I'm watching this special with Geraldo Rivera, jumping out of helicopters in Miami, chasing smugglers. Man, this looks like fun. <laughs> How crazy is it? I come back from my vacation and I got called for customs. Took the wow. job. You know, they, they had me working first before we went to the academy. Three days before I graduated, my wife tells me on the phone, you just got called. Because, like, you know, the first round with NYPD, that's when they went into the different list. You know, they had the male, female, minority, other, whatever. And I got a 93 on the test. I never got a 93 on my life on anything. So <laughs> it failed. 94 was the cutoff. I think that was seven, whenever I took the test. So I said, you know what? I got three more days. I'm graduating. I just spent three and a half months in Brunswick, Georgia. I'm not going to the academies. I got a little taste of working drugs before I went to the academy. So I'm going to stick with this. And then I worked in New York for a while. Had an undercover operation. We're out in Montauk. Really wasn't what I, well, I, I shouldn't say what I thought, what my expectations were. And uh, I had an opportunity to go to Miami because I had a friend down there that said, anytime you want to transfer here, give me a call. So his name was Bobby Benevolente. He was a New Yorker, transplanted to Florida. I call him up. He says, no problem. If you could just come down on your own. You know, so I came down with my old partner, Nick Jacobellis. And uh, it was like heaven, man. I'm like, we're down at the customs office. I see this guy towing a boat in, you know, with drugs. <laughs> I said, man, this is like watching Miami Vice, you know. So I went to the, the chief of patrol. At the time, it was, it was called customs patrol officer. That was supposed to be like a uniform position. Then you had the agents which I would equivalent, let's say, you know, the, you know, the patrolman and you have the detective. So, you know, it was like the investigative branch. So Al Westerman says to me, listen, you know, we have some funding, but it's to get brought in, you know, they bring in under the Marine, you know, uh, program. I said, listen, I don't go on boats. The only boat I've ever been on is the circle line because I never got seasick. <laughs> or Manhattan, you know, so he says, don't worry, don't worry. So I was very fortunate. They put me on what they call the uh, FIST team. Freighter Intelligence Surveillance Team. So you work in the Miami River, strictly working dope. It it was it was unbelievable. It was you like, know, I, I read like three quarters of your book, and you guys came up with some unbelievable amounts yeah. of weight down yeah. there. Well, that I was, mean, it, the it was crazy, right? You all I mean, the was that where a lot of the even the New York drugs were coming in from uh, from Miami, and then it was the transshipment point. Yeah. Miami was the transshipment point. The access to the water, the airdrops. You know, South America, you know, you could go to the Bahamas on a speedboat and be back in an hour. So we just kept on working, working. I was so fortunate. I then had a boss. I went on vacation, came back. I get called into this office. His name was Wayne Roberts. I heard of him. I didn't know him. And he was a workaholic, you know, uh, Vietnam vet, Marine, 
and he calls me in the office, sits me down. He like, it's like he did a background on me. And I'll never forget, he told me something. I still use it with my basketball players. He said, don't ever lie to me. I'll go to the wall for you. You lie to me, I'm going to throw you off the wall. And the career was just, it was like playing ball in the park every day, you know, and I got promoted a couple months there's, later. There's there's the buff photo you were with uh, Ralph Friedman. Ralph and, and Joe, uh, yeah. Going. Is that at Ralph's house? Yeah, his museum, I call it. Oh, his museum. The museum of Ralph. <laughs> so anyhow, I was fortunate. I got promoted. I made agent a uh, couple months, maybe a year, two years, 80. Yeah, I got promoted in 86, and I got there in 85. I made agent in 86. 89, I made senior agent, which is a, a big pay raise, you know? Mm -hmm. So within three years, I got a second promotion. And then my boss left to go back to Operation Greenback, which was the money laundering group. And he said, just stay still. I'll get you in here. A couple months later, I'm working in Greenback. And you talk about having fun. It was the best time of my life working. You know, and then I actually got all the local cops on the task force. I, I, I started that, you know, formulate that. And everybody started using that, you know, years later. I heard, I heard that the, um, the cartels used to call you the tall, ugly Jew. No, the, the ugly part wasn't in there, but it was El Judio Grande, the big Jew. The big Jew. Right. Yeah. Ugly, you know. And it's funny you say that because the Colombians, like if we'd make a hit on them, bad word, if we'd make a seizure, you know, that's a word we used to use. They used to call us Los Feos, the uglies. The uglies. So you got the two words mixed up. Yeah, they, I, I mixed it up they a little bit. They said the big good-looking Jew, and then the ugly <laughs> the group, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a handsome picture of you oh, right yeah. there. Up on that, the screen. Get that one from the post office? <laughs> I think so. Off the wall. They pulled it off the wall. Oh, you have a young one, you know. There may be young ladies looking at something. But it must have been unbelievable in, in uh, South Florida during that was like, you know, the Miami Vice time. And when you guys you see is like millions of dollars, did they use that money for law enforcement to get better equipment? Yes. What they would do is they had assets uh forfeiture. So for instance, on, on our task force. In our group in Operation Greenback, we had Metro Dade Police, narcotics. Uh, we had Carl Gables Police. We had Border Patrol, but they're a federal agency, so we can't dish out anything. And then we had um, Broward Sheriff's Office. So what we would do is, let's just say, you know, the uh, this, the informant would get paid anywhere up to 20% at times. And it's a lot of money they make. And then they would tally up the money depending on how many hours. Let's say you had a squad and they worked. 25 hours, you know, I'm just saying. So we paid their overtime and then we gave the department's asset forfeiture. Uh -huh. And quite, you remember the famous Nick Navarro, the sheriff of Broward Sheriff? I'm, I'm sorry, the sheriff, Nick Navarro from Broward County. Uh -huh. he, he's the one that started the show Cops. Yeah, okay. Uh, he loved me because they were getting money. They were getting, I became his best friend. So <laughs> it, it, it really paid off for everybody, you know? Hey, you know a movie I love? Um, and it, Custom comes up uh, a lot in it. Cocaine Cowboys, that documentary. Okay. It seems to be around the time that you were on the job. Yeah, I, I came down here. I got transferred in 85. I didn't retire till 08, but 85 till about 96, I was working narcotics and money laundering. Then I got put into uh, another group, and then I went back to another drug group. Then I got assigned to the FBI Joint Terrorist Task Force. I was the customs agent assigned there. So I was there before 9-11, during, and after. I was there about five years. Hey, Bob, a guy named Eddie Glover said, yo, Starkman, it's Tim, the photographer from Highly Unoffended. <laughs> yeah. So you got some fans following you around. Yeah, here. that's funny. Was that, what was that, a TV show you did? No, um, Highly Unoffended was, uh, they're two guys, they're two um, 
law enforcement guys out of uh, Connecticut. They actually came down here. They're uh-huh. funny. Yeah, nice guys. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the scenes in in the did you ever see the documentary Cocaine? Yeah. yeah. Remember the scene where they're they're explaining how they used to watch the the harbor and they uh, rented out apartments or oh, yeah. condos and the buildings there and had their girls up there. And their job was to sit with the binoculars and watch when the coast sure. guards are out there before they bring the uh, the speedboats in. Yeah, well, actually, Peter Ard, you should rest in peace. He was a supervisor. He had worked on that case, and I can't think of the guy's name, but there was a case with the FBI, and I believe it was in a hall over cut. There was an apartment building, so you have the cuts, you know, to come into, you know, from the ocean to get into the intercoastal. So they had apartments upstairs. So they had the radio communications. They would watch. You know, a lot of times they would divert, you know, they would know, and I'm not too familiar with the marine aspect of smuggling, but I do know when the, you know, the full moon and the water's flat, man, you could zip across, you get an airdrop, come in. But what they would do is they may have three of the same boats and one boat has it. The other two are going different ways. So there could be a chase. You know, it's so wide open. It's like without informants, it's tough. But the thing here is inform a lot of guys would give up their other, you know, other uh, competitors, you know, you, you know, you know, you guys are cops. So, you know, you have the various types of informants, you know. But most of your uh, drug dealers, from what I read in your book, were they were uh, Colombians, right? Yes. They're, they're mostly like we worked. I had a really good uh, informant and uh, we were able to. I had one that was actually in Colombia. So he owned the Casa de Cambio, which is the money exchange house. And the other one here conducted all the money pickups because we had an operation where we would launder money and, you know, knock down the different, uh, we used to call it the Chinese wall, you know, like get through it, you know, get that. But you have to have somebody in place. So we would deal more with organizations. We weren't dealing with street drugs, you know, once in a while you'd come up with some things. But for the most part, it was, you know, working into organizations. And most of the drugs coming into Miami weren't specifically for use in Miami, right? They were going all over the country. Oh, I, I believe it was distribution, absolutely, because, you know, you hit a house and, you know, back in the day, what happened was, um, you know, you hit a house, you have a room filled with dope, you have a count room and a money room. And then they came up with the uh, money statutes, you know, the government, where you have to, sh- you know, prove a specified unlawful act where the money came from. They got right. smart. I always joke. I said it probably took the government 10 years to write the statutes and the Colombians probably 10 hours to figure out how to break it. So now you hit a house. You go in a house, you find a million dollars. They say, well, no say, no say. You know, it's like, it's not my money. So you seize the money. You know, they, they have to deal with the people in Colombia. Right. And then, something, then you'd hit the dope house. They'd have a guy usually watching. So it was always, they got smart. You, you know, you went from a money house. You know, it was very hard to find records. They knew to separate it to show the transactions, the sales. You know, you could have a house with a thousand kilos. When I first came in, the first case I worked with on, excuse me, it's 300 kilos. I'm like, wow, I'm calling my friends in New York because, you know, two kilos, you get in New York, it's great. They're like, yeah, hey, you're full of crap, you know? And then you know, Bob, yeah. the movie The French Connection, I think it was 110 pounds of heroin. Yeah. And that guy's taking that in car stops in Washington Heights. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And I'm just saying how things, you know, everything has changed, you know? Yeah. So it, it was interesting. Like I said, it's just volumes and volumes. And, you know, and, and that's why I enjoyed working money because, you know, with the dope, Thousand kilos, all right. You know, somebody may be found floating somewhere, but at the yeah. end of the day, they're going to be shipping in more money. You know, we lose our wallet. That's how I would equate it. We worked all week, so you take money. That hurts, you know. And, and I enjoyed that because at least that part, I felt like I did something. You know, dope. 
you guys know what it's like. It's, it's not right, going right. to you know. So that was Do some. You of speak the, Spanish or no? I know how to say. My boss taught me to say this when I got there. Yo soy federali, manos arribos cabron. I'm a federal <laughs> agent, hands up asshole. That's you, what they you, see, you sound like former Mayor Bloomberg when he would no, speak Spanish. Don't <laughs> <laughs> you know? But uh, policia no se mueva. Uh, you speak better than me, you know. But <laughs> you learn how to order your food. You know, you learn how to order the food in the Cuban restaurants. You know, that's right. And you, you kind of pick it up a little, like you know. You know, when I when I worked in Manhattan North, I was in Homicide. We used to work all the precincts. And when I'd go to the three four or the three three or three zero, all the cops learned how to speak Spanish just from being there. Yeah, we. And I was like, holy weird. shit! You know, it's pretty. You see these you know white guys speaking pretty fluently, and I was like. How'd you learn to do that? The guy's oh, just from working here. I'm like, wow. Well, you I'll do pick up, you pick up some of the words. But what's funny is, I'm sorry. No, I used to get calls. I, I worked in the squad. So at least every day, maybe twice a day, either they had somebody downstairs I had to go talk to uh, that only spoke Spanish. But I was, uh, you know, I was, I'm half Dominican, so I speak Spanish pretty good. But I, I liked it. I liked being able to, because the more I spoke, the better I got. Right. You know, I practiced a lot. Now I lost it all because I don't really, you know, have an opportunity to speak it that much anymore. See, if you work for the government and you spoke Spanish, you got some kind of percent on You got a little extra money. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about the Russian. Every time you know a language on the job, it's always better. We had a Russian guy that he came to work with us in warrants. And what happens is at the time, there wasn't that many Russian officers on the job. Right. He got promoted to detective. He started feeling his oats. You know what I'm saying? They asked him to do certain things. After a little while, he was like, no, I don't want to do that. And then in the next class coming out, they had three Russian kids in there. So they bounced them out and they sent them to Warren's. And they took the three Russian kids. Yeah. Well, it's funny with me because when my hair was black, I had a thick mustache, sometimes I had a beard, I could pass for Hispanic. And people would come up to me, you know, start speaking Spanish. And it was like, better off speaking Chinese. Oh, God. Was that it? El Grande Judeo? El Judeo Grande, yeah. El Judeo Grande. Like you heard, I don't know if he told you the story. What happened was we were doing a money pickup, and I'd like to get there early, so I check out the place, you know, where we, you know, we prearrange the meet. Now get around, walk around, because you know, a lot of times you have DEA, you don't know who's involved. Sometimes the FBI, we've come across everybody till they set up this uh, system to coordinate. So I get out of the car and I come back in, and Bert Fashard, who was a BSO guy, I worked with all the time. He's laughing. So he overhears the bad guy telling the informant, quick, get the F out of here, the big Jews here in Spanish. <laughs> I'm like, what are you laughing at? So that's how my nickname became El Judeo. They spotted me because they knew me, you know, from, I guess I must have popped yeah, somebody. Yeah. It was just funny. So it kind of, you know, stood with a couple of the guys. Yeah, you never put it in like that. Yeah. You know, Bob, it was funny. When we used to do lineups, sometimes we would use five cops as fillers. And the perp, of course, didn't know because they came dressed down. Right, and he the perp would always make admissions to the cops, thinking they were just yeah. homeless guys coming in from the street. Uh, and then he saw them in uniform, they'd be like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. It's funny you say that. When I was working in a gas station, when I was going to college, uh, there was a couple robberies, and the guy said I looked like one of the guys, you know, one of the subjects, you know. So they asked me to come. They were going to pay me to sit in the lineup. The only problem is, you know, I had a big, thick mustache, and I was quite young, of course. I probably was like 21, 22. And uh, every time I had to stand up, I had to sit down like, because I was taller than him sitting down, you know? So, like, you know, they say, all right, stand up. So, like, everybody stands up. I'm still sitting. I remember I got a couple of <laughs> They paid me to do it. It was in the 112 precinct on Yellowstone Boulevard there. 
<laughs> I remember we had a, we had a purple time. It was six eight, and I was like, "How the fuck?" I, I shouldn't use the f word. How the hell am I gonna find six foot eight or six six fillers? So yeah. everyone was like, "Of course, under six foot." But yeah. we had them sit down. But if, when they stood up, it was like so. Yeah, well, I, I never got up. You know, every time they said stand, they made me sit. You know, you know I never got killed. But said I was good. <laughs> I was really good at getting fillers. So if I was working and somebody had a column that needed fillers. They'd always send me because uh, I knew where to go. I'd go to Ward's Island. I'd go down 125th Street. I'd fill up the van in no time. I remember one time I'm on Ward's Island and the guy comes out and he wants to jump in the van. I said, no, 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 the guy's, the guy's clean shaven. So he goes, oh, that's all right. And he takes a big razor out of his <laughs> out of his pocket. He starts shaving right Dry there. shaving, yeah. And I'm like, no, no, dude, go inside and do it the right. Get some water and soap. I'll wait for you. So I got two other guys, and we waited for him to come out shaving. I, I felt so bad because he was. He was well, he, I used to feel got, sorry for the fillers because they would get like ten dollars. Sometimes they'd be there for three hours, and like you know, we couldn't yeah. control how long the lineup took. Sometimes right. you know, oh, yeah. the witness is in here, or this witness is in here, or the, you know. They never wanted to go back either to Wards Island. This, they'd always say, uh, "I'd be driving down 125th Street going to Wards Island, right about Lexington Avenue." Like, okay, we're gonna get out over here. Yeah. Take me to that bodega over there. Every, they have old English eight hundred. You, you tell people these stories, they never believe them. You know, like unless you're in some type of law enforcement. That's why in my book I wrote a chapter called "Inside Both Court Bloopers," like some basketball funny stories and things that happen in law enforcement. Like I, I remembered all these different lines. It's like, like I said, the average person would think you're nuts when they read that. You know, it's, it's just <laughs> funny stories. Speaking of uh, other stories, I want to ask you. I know in baseball, because my son was a baseball player, he had the option of maybe going to play Junco ball, which is junior college ball. And instead, he just decided to go to Binghamton and, and just, you know, go a regular uh, right. curriculum. Um, and that worked out fine for him. He's, he's, he's going to be a nurse now. So, um, but in, in basketball, like what type of player goes to a junior college? Because I know the type of player that goes in baseball. Yeah. But in so basketball. Well, like Bobby Knight once told me, he was recruiting one of my plays. He says, kids are in junior college for five for five reasons. You probably don't want to know four of them. But that's not really true. What, what I found, it's a lot of kids. Like, I recruited a lot of kids from New York because I had good contacts up there. And I didn't have a budget, you know, so I had to, you know, depend on my friends. But a lot of the kids, some fell through the cracks, you know, maybe overlooked where somebody else was, you know, recruited. Uh, some kids have had some problems. You know, a lot of them, for the most part, it's usually academics. They didn't qualify for the NCAA, you know, at the clearinghouse. It's just a, a number of things. You know, I always, I really, maybe in 21 years as a junior college coach, I maybe gambled on two kids that I probably shouldn't have because I, I rather, I learned over the years, you're better off taking a great kid that's a good basketball player than a great player that is going to cost you your job. Right. So, you know, that was me. And the good thing about me, I was probably the only part-time coach in the country at the time, but I had, a, I had a job and a career, so I could coach for the right reasons. That's what I tell people. It wasn't for the money. I did it because I loved what I was doing. And thank God I was very successful, but I was successful. I tell people all the time, any accolades I got, I didn't put the ball in the basket. The kids did. Now, my job was to keep them in order. And, and I firmly believe that, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. So over the years, I've had several kids that are still playing professionally overseas. Adrian Uta came to me. He was from Springfield Gardens High School. He had nothing. He was 6'5", 175. 
led the nation in rebounding in junior college. And Florida Juco ball is one of the best in the country, probably, you know, top three with Texas, Kansas, you know, and we competed every night. I'm sorry. The idea is to, if, if you fall through the cracks and you're a good enough player, that you can go to a, this two-year college, a junior college, and at, at some point, it, um, you know, then you'll get, you'll get into a four-year college and you can Correct. jump on the team there. Correct. Now, right. it, yes, and in baseball, a lot of guys go to junior college instead of a four-year school. So let's say a kid got drafted. He didn't go high enough. If he goes to a four-year school, he has to wait, I think, three years. If he goes to a JUCO, he could get you know he could be redrafted the next year, but for the most part, it, it's a lot of it's the academics and like I said, and usually a lot of it is because they were overlooked. And I mean, I had kids play at Louisville, Kansas State. I've had kids play at uh, Adelphi, New York Tech. So they've played at every level, you know. So and, and that's a good thing. And I keep in touch with a lot of kids. As a matter of fact, last week in Atlanta. I saw a former high school teammate of mine. He's a retired correction officer. He was an investigator. I guess they had a gang unit. And then I saw a player of mine, Dwight Angley. When I took over a program, he was the only kid I kept. I cleaned shop on everybody. And it's nice, you know, married, kids, doing something. That I know I got, you know, I had, like I said, it's somewhat of an influence, you know, that made me feel really happy last week to see that. That's great. Mark, you got to go to a commercial. Hey, what's up, everybody? Listen to this. Uh, guys and gals, we're sponsored by the best hot sauce in the world. Silk City hot sauce is made in small batches using pure ingredients. Locally grown peppers are the foundation of every bottle of Silk City hot sauce. I use it every day. I just gave Bill his bottles at our get-together last night, so he's going to get a chance to give us his reviews as well. But trust me when I tell you it's, it's yummy, and I put it on all uh, my breakfast every day. SilkCityHotSauce.com. If you put a um, OTC, the coupon code OTC, you'll get a 15% discount. SilkCityHotSauce.com. You guys getting sick of uh, living in New York, the high taxes, the crime, the Democrats, <laughs> Cuomo, de Blasio? Well, move down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Carol Waters sells Myrtle Beach at gmail.com. She's part of Beach Realty Group. And she's a, actually, she was a 20-year bartender at Fitzpatrick Hotel in New York. Her husband, Rob Mann, was an NYPD officer who rolled over to the fire department. So if you're looking to go down to Myrtle Beach, give Carol Waters a call, 914-261-6681. A big friend of the show, attorney Joseph Murray, retired police officer. He really helps us out. He's been on the show many times, give us, given us his expertise. You can reach him now. Is his own website, Joe at jmurray-law.com. He's a great attorney. If you need an attorney, give Joe Murray a call. Back to the show. <laughs> so back to uh, basketball. So um, you said you were doing it. You were still working as an agent then, right? Yeah. That uh, that must have been tough. Yeah, you come from a drug bus, you go to a practice, you got to go back out on surveillance. But I made it happen. You know, being the head coach was, you know, and the fact that I was part time really helped out because I could kind of work around my schedule. You know, I, I set my own schedule for preseason, but once conference schedule, you know, you have to go by that. And, you know, and it worked out. You know, I took a lot of time away from my family, using a lot of vacation time, but it all worked out for the best. You know, it really did. Now, I think it's a great thing that you think, and, and plus the adrenaline that you get being on the court, 
um, and, and being around the game and being around, just being able to help the youth. It's just incredible what you did. That's the book uh, cover right there, Inside Both Courts. There's a forward yeah, by it's the forward by Joe Pistone, yeah. And now you told us, I think. No, you didn't tell us. Tell us the story how you met Joe Pistone. All right, so I had to go to undercover school, and at the time, Joe, he, he was out of the FBI, and he was the instructor, you know, for the undercover school. One of the Well, he's definitely the main instructor. And uh, my old partner knew him. I didn't know him. I read his book, you know. I saw the TV shows, whatever. And it's funny. Uh, so he calls me. I go in the back to meet him. He's in the back room because he's going to be the next speaker, you know, in the back of the classroom. So my buddy, my partner says, hey, this is Joe Pistone. So I say, hey, Bob Stockman. I said, man, you look a lot bigger in the book. He says, glad. <laughs> he says to me, glad to effing meet you too. Right? <laughs> so living in Florida, you get a lot of allergies, sinus infections. I had the worst sinus infection. So on my desk, I kind of looked like Wal Walgreens, you know, like Walmart or whatever. I had like Flonase, I had antibiotics, uh, you name it, I had everything. He said, what is that? You know, I said, well, I got the sinus infection. I go, yeah, man, I'm not feeling good. Can I, you know, so I said, oh, would you like some? So I gave him my prescription because I could renew it. And then we're talking and he says, so why'd you come to the school? Again, the, the school, I believe, used to have training in uh, some IBM, I think in Virginia, like their training center, whatever. And I heard that. I said, yeah, I heard you gave out autographed books. So I just came here for your autographed book. I was kidding. <laughs> and I joke, I, I made the mistake last time. I didn't say it on purpose. I said halftime of the training, but I meant to say during the lunch break, but I was thinking basketball. So I said he came back and he actually got me a book and signed it. And then we've been such good friends, family friends for over oof, almost 30 years now. That's great. So yeah. is Florida worse for allergies than New York? I think so. Really? I guess more plants, more trees. Well, I think they blamed it on Trump because, you know, Trump has a house in. Uh, yeah. Gold showers knocks the allergies right up. Oh, really? Well, I suffer every year except for this year because I started with the cold showers. I had maybe one day where, you know, a couple of days I sneezed a little bit, but nothing like the way I used to be. Try it. I try everything. They, call it, they call it Wim Hofing. There's a guy named Wim Hofer that invented that technique. Cold shower? Well, they, they do breathing before they go into ice cold water. Yeah, it, it'll knock it right out. You'll suffer. The allergies will be gone. It's worth it. The five minutes you spend in that cold water, it makes you feel better the other 23 hours a day. I thought cold showers were for something else. Yeah, exactly. It works that way, too. <laughs> I'll try it. That's, that's how I know I'm a master If when, once I've mastered it. Okay. If, if uh, I can. <laughs> uh, Bob, are you still involved in basketball now? Yeah. I had uh, I retired from Broward. I was actually I'm a double dipper. It was a state job. I, I had an interim position at Kaiser University, which was an NAI school. And the last two years, I've been an assistant at Florida National University. But one of the things I do, as a matter of fact, I'm going away tomorrow. I work at these like Euro Pro camps. You know, they call my combines. So uh -huh. I kind of you know, I coach, I I evaluate, I, I do a little bit of everything. And I like being around the game. And this summer, this well, this past spring into now. Uh, they have a local like uh, AAU program. It's called South Florida Elite. They asked me if I want to coach the unsigned senior team. I said, yeah, you know, to me, it's kind of like the junior college. And I'm, you know, they're looking for school. They don't have anything. So I, I coached in two tournaments by the, I don't know how we won both of them. So I'm quitting because I'm going to go undefeated as an AAU coach. <laughs> but the important thing, I was able to get two kids scholarships right away. And that's good. And very deserving. You know, like I, the kids are very deserving and, just that I was able to help, you know, I enjoy that. That's great. 
Yeah. You know, you also knew some of the same guys I knew from yeah. Long Island. I remember you mentioned, um, I and I didn't play against him, but Danny Graziano, who was well, it was, I think wasn't it? It wasn't Danny. It was um, I can't think of his first name, but he was like I. What happened was during the Christmas break, we had no practice, so my friend Al Matrani, he played at Valley Stream South. His coach let me play. They went out to Farmingdale, and that was the, I, I. I never saw a high school with a pool. It was brand new at the time. Right, that would right. be 72, 73. And he was a freshman then. He actually went on to play in South Carolina. Yeah, I, I never heard he how he did yeah. in college. Did he have yeah, a good college career? Yeah. played in Italy for years. Wow. I mean, I didn't know him. I, yeah. you know, I just know the name, and I played that one high school game against him. And then I knew Brad and Seth Greenberg. I know yeah. them through coaching. How much money can uh, players make over there playing overseas? Well, it depends. You know, uh, an NBA player could make no, – well, a guy who you know comes out of a junior college here, or maybe, maybe four years here, and then goes well, over there. It depends what like they have different divisions. Like you have like the first division. So I knew somebody in the first division. He was the highest paid player. He was making three hundred fifty thousand plus. They give you a car. They give you a place to live. Basically, you eat for free. And you know, you think about it. Everybody thinks they're making millions. A lot of the NBA players will go over there and get that type of money. But you do that ten years. You know, you have a career, you save your money, you're doing pretty good. And one of my players, he's still playing, and he goes – he's in Israel right now, and he'll be going to Puerto Rico. They have a pro league there, and he loves it there. So he'll be going back there. One of my other players just got back from Spain. Another one was in London. You know, so some of the guys are still playing, and, it's you know, they're doing okay, but they have their degrees, which is nice. You know what I mean? Like, they know. They weren't like, I'm going to the NBA. I'm going, you know, they're professional basketball players. They're seeing the world. And, you know, what's better than getting paid for what you love to do? That's yeah. awesome. It's unbelievable, really. Yeah. Israel's got good ball players. Yeah. Except they're getting bombs shot into their country. He's in the, he's in the Northern. I think they just have yeah. a ceasefire, I heard. But he's in yeah, the they, they, they did a ceasefire. Um, hey, you know, uh, just a long shot, but do you see what's going on with Kwame Brown right now? No. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's a podcast wars, but. Uh, you know, you remember him? He he was yeah. a first round draft pick. Right. Was he out of Georgia? I think like Brunswick, Georgia, or something. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, definitely right. yeah. South, but uh, he ha I guess he had enough of uh, everybody picking on him. Right. So he started uh, attacking everybody else, really? including Stephen A. Smith, and it's it's unbelievable. Uh, it's he what he's saying right now, what he's divulging. Yeah, he, he's going just sitting in his in bed and talking. Um, so it's interesting. You you might you might be interested since you're. Yeah, you know it's funny. It's funny. People sometimes don't know when to shut up, and yeah. it's like, especially in sports. It's like when you win, they accuse you of doing something wrong. You know, it's it's like the way the world is now. People just worry about themselves. You know, do what you have to do. And well, his point was that he was an 18 year old kid, and um, you know he's playing the clips of Stephen A. Smith ripping them apart, and he's like he's like I'm an 18 year old kid. And you're ripping his thing is uh, you're ripping another black man apart, a teenager, right? You know, and then he goes on to go and every single person that ripped him during his teenage years, he, and then what what they're doing to the other players. So it's interesting his take on it, and I'm fascinated. I watch it every night. It's it's a show because they it's they, a they podcast, like, you said. Excuse me. It's a podcast. Well, um, Gilbert Arenas is that the yeah, guy? Yeah, he's a former player too. Yeah, he had the gun in the locker room, right? It's yeah. him. It's uh, the guy with the uh, with the straight hair. The where uh, his wife was fooling around with uh, the coach. Oh, oh yeah. at Barnes yeah. and somebody else. They have a podcast. 
And they started talking about Kwame Brown. And he's like, it's 20 years already. How, when are you going to let it go? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. You know, everybody says that. I'm sure he didn't complain when he cashed those million dollar checks, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Some, I don't know. That's, I think people get bored. I don't know. I don't know. You know, you got to worry about yourself, I think, in this day and age. Yeah. So, Bob, what do you think about what's going on uh, nationally with law enforcement? The, uh, the hit job that this whole country is doing on law enforcement. Yeah, you know, I think it's, you know, it's like, let's pick on somebody. You know I mean? Cop, listen, it's, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. So one bad apple ruins it for X amount others. You know, it's like, and I, I don't know how anybody could become a cop now because, they're, you know, it's like you're afraid to breathe. I just think, you know, it's funny because people, there's a lot of hypocrites out there. You know, it's, you know, this with the cops, this with that. Who's the first one you call when there's a problem? Right. one one You know, and, and I, you know, listen, we, we all know, like I said, there's good and bad everywhere. It's just horrible. Like, you know, you, you think about it. Like, how can you go to work? Like, can you go to work right now? Like, if you were, you know, still on a job, you just couldn't, you know, and it's, I think people worry about the wrong things, you know, let a cop do his job. But, you know, now you got the cameras and mm. you got people taunting. You know, I just saw an incident that happened here last night. I was watching the news and it was a chase and the car flipped over. And they were talking to some woman. I guess a car got hit and everything she said was good. She mentioned something until the cops pulled their guns. Well, the guy just robbed the car. There was five of them. They almost killed people. What are they supposed to do? You know, like. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's so it's so ridiculous. Sad. It's really sad. You know? you know, the other night we had a um, event at uh, this restaurant in Manhattan. Uh, it was called Bordeaux and uh, Joe Lisi was a retired captain who's probably one of the most successful actors of any NYPD cop. Anyway, the two cops came in, the one female cop that carried the shot four-year-old to the ambulance, oh, yeah. and they got a standing ovation. It was yeah. a really good feeling to see. Right. But, you know, this, this was a whole cop crowd, you know. Right. But to really see the praise that they got and that they deserved for doing what they did, and that's what the police really are. Right. They're the good guys. We're not the bad guys, you know. And there's plenty of bad. There's more bad politicians than cops. I swear to God. You know? Well, I was glad. I don't watch. I try not to watch the news too much. But I was bored one night and I was flipping through the channels, and every channel had that. So that was really nice. That was positive, you know. Yeah. And, you know, instead of showing a guy in a fighting for his life, show these positive. Every day there's something that good that happens, and you know, like I said, there's bad everywhere. But you know, people got to focus on the good, and you know, it's it's tough. It's it's tough. Well, yeah, I think where you live down in Florida, I think they're much more supportive of law enforcement than they are. New York has turned into like uh, it's just so left wing; it's out of control. And they they have people running for mayor that should be running for the premier of China. You know, it's like uh, it's just incredible the people that are running for mayor, and they're all progress. You know, they call them progressives. Here, yeah, here's some of the handsome people running for mayor in New York City. Each one of them is more progressive than the next. You know, it's just, it's pathetic. Is this that Woody guy, Allen up there on the upper left? Is that Woody Allen? Yeah, it looks like him, right? But the, the guy underneath, the guy on the upper right, the yeah. guy in the middle there, he wanted yeah. to cut, he, he, he said he would cut the uh, police budget by $3 billion. Dude, just leave town now. You have no chance. Take a walk. Go to Seattle or somewhere. You know, it's like. It's unbelievable. They try to outdo each other with left with left wing progressiveness. You know, I read the post. I get the post delivered to my house every day. <laughs> you want to keep you want to keep your finger on the pulse. I didn't get the best headlines. I laughed. Some of them, 
some I can't even read the articles, but keeps me fresh, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. I wonder how they do that. How do they get to post the floor? I guess they, they, it's it's probably like a little bit late. You know what I mean? Like, like I may get like some like some if I go online, some of the articles. You know, like I, if if there's a late basketball game last night, it's not going to come. You know. They, but they printed here, I'm sure. You know, they're not gonna... it's, good. it's good. It's awesome. Oh, you, you don't think they just throw it on the commuter plane? From well, the... Express. Nah, they they actually got printed here, you know. But it, it, I enjoy it. I still got, you know, I, I love reading the New York paper, you know. Yeah, I know. I get it. I, I totally get it, man. I envy you living down there. It's, uh, yeah. it's, uh, that's life right there. Beautiful. Um, so what are you up to now? What are you doing with yourself now? Like I said, I'm just, uh, I was coaching this unsigned senior team. Uh, tomorrow I'm going up to Orlando. I'm going to be at this camp. My friend John Cofino is running a uh, overseas combine, so he has me working there. So I'll be there for a couple of days. I was in Atlanta last week. Went to see my son. We had a good time. I'm enjoying myself, you know, somewhat. I can't. You, you, you doing any? You doing any money laundering with this guy on the screen? Nah, nah, that's Slim Shady. Nah. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great shot. Is he always wearing sunglasses? Yeah. <laughs> What is it? He doesn't want anyone to recognize him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's his thing. He's smart, you know. He's, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm he's he's sharp as man, sharp as a razor. He, I mean, he looks from what I've seen, he looks great. For he's eighty years old, right? Yeah, he's unbelievable. He's such, you know, and he's he's such a dear friend, you know. And it's like we become such good friends, you know. I mean, I speak to him probably more than I talk to anybody in my family. You know? Oh, for our listeners, we're talking about Joe Pistone, aka. Uh, Donnie Brasco, he's good friends with Bob Stark. Well, you, you mentioned possible scenes from your book, and I know you were just joking around, but obviously that's something that's that's in your head. Like you, you could see, you could visualize scenes from your book in a film. So tell us about that. Where, where's your book going right now? Well, I, originally I wrote the book just to tell my story, and my story, I talk about everybody. It's not about me. Everything in there is like the team effort, you know, showing basketball. You know, to law enforcement, you know, it's like a game, you know, and you try to win. You don't want to get hurt. You don't cheat. You know, same thing. You go to court. You don't lie. Not you come out, you you know, you lose a game. You try to win a game. You don't, you know, you can't lock a guy up. You try to get him again. But uh, it's funny. Somebody was joking. I was on this podcast. Actually, uh, Stephen McDonald's sister-in-law, Lori McDonald. Uh, she has a thing that's called uh, Ivy League Murders. And she had us on this. So she was joking. I thought she was joking. She said, you know, this could be some kind of series. She said, who would play you? I said, probably Fred Gwynn, but he's dead. Herman <laughs> So, Well, you know what? Um, what was the other guy? He was in the last movie. Uh, he's still alive, though, actually. Um, Grandpa Munster? No, no, no. He, he was in the Ocean's Eleven, but that was his last time I seen him. He's a, he's a Jew. He's, uh, he's tall with the, with the curly hair. Um, Elliot Gould? Yeah, Elliot Gould. He's got to be 90 years old, yeah, Elliot Gould. Well, I'm catching up. Every, when I was young, everybody used to say I look like Elliot Gould. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, funny. Yeah. But she told me, who's this guy, Vince? Uh, what the hell's his name? He's an actor. Vince uh, Vaughn. Yeah, she said, I said, come on. She said, no, nah, he's tall. Well, young you, yeah. Young you. Joe, Joe's like, yeah, yeah. This is the first podcast I'm doing out Joe. Usually we're both here. And he's like, you know, we're kicking each other. Your turn, my turn. Uh -huh. You know, it's like. This is solo, man. This is history. I'm doing my first podcast alone. Uh huh. But uh, it's it's not easy, right? Yeah, it's fun, you know. Oh, you got you got a lot to talk about, huh? Yeah, just it's you know you, you get with New Yorkers and you, you know you just you shoot the. Well, crap. Let me say, sometimes oh, you, so you do it by saying, yourself. 
you, you, when you do it by yourself sometimes, yeah, you draw a blank every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. I'm trying to keep focus, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know, mostly you do them with Joe. Is that what you're yeah. saying? You have yeah. your yeah. own podcast now. Yeah, it's been good, you know. I said, Joe, he's riding my coattail now, you know. It's like, uh -huh. Uh -huh. It, 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 I think it enhances everybody's show having him on, you know. I mean, you know, it's like Babe Ruth and I'm like the ball boy, you know, <laughs> bat boy. But uh, I spoke to one or two people. Some guy wants to talk to me about a script on things. And Joe's really good with that because he's had his own mo major motion picture. Um, he's a consultant. He has shows. Matter of fact, he has his own podcast, too. It's a deep cover, The Real Donnie Brasco. He does it with uh, Leo Rossi, the actor. Wow. So, you know, he, he's helping me out. If something happens, it happens. I didn't write the book for that. I just wanted to tell a story. You know, I'm no superhero. I'm just a regular guy, you know, and I, I enjoyed my careers, you know, and it's more about perseverance. You know, Bob, you know what I'm glad you did in your book? You used 14 font. Hey, that's over 40. <laughs> that's over people over 40. That's right. So I can read it without, you know. That. <laughs> that's, that's funny great. you say that. I didn't actually, the lady, I hired this lady to, she was an editor. You know, she just put everything in order. And it was her idea. And I, I don't know if she did it on purpose, but I joke. I said, that's for the, you know, 40 and above. You got to thank her for me. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Why don't we give a shout out to some of the people that have tuned in tonight, Bill? Sure. Uh, of course, the Pranzos are here. Peter Pranzo, the great Lieutenant Pranzo, Harlem Raiders. That's his book. Linda Uribe, 12-Step Woman, MC Zorio. Uh Marianne DeLuco McGinnis. You got a lot of names, Marianne. Uh, Eddie Glover. Yo, Starkman, it's Tim, the photographer from Highly Unoffended. Uh, who else we got here? Laura Daly. Um, Michelina Sereno. I think that's... Oh, uh, Billy, Bill Ryan from Ryan Investigative Group. We got Juan Valdez. Morgan Walsh. What happened to well, Mike? Come on, where were you on Tuesday night? I mean, this kid is—he's uh, every night. Well, why couldn't you make the the, the get together? What the hell? Was, what the hell is this kid doing? He should have been there. Was he there? I don't know. He wasn't there. He lives in Connecticut. He probably couldn't get the car that night. You, you know? freaking kidding me? I would have <laughs> drove to his house and picked him up. <laughs> I didn't even think about it right now. For for all the people that came out uh, on Tuesday, you know what a great time we had. It, the place was. Uh, Bill, at first, Bill, you were saying there was like, oh, we had reservations for 30. Well, there was way more than 30 people there. Oh, yeah, that was probably, I'd say there was between, I don't know, 60 and 80 people there. That yeah, was, it, was, it was a good showing. The whole, the whole thing was, it was beautiful. And, you know, just to, to be hanging out again and to be, uh, to socialize again after all that we've been through with the, with the pandemic and all your family that, uh, you know what I'm saying? To, to actually have some laughs again with your old friends and, and a beer and talk and socialize. It was just amazing, man. It was a beautiful night. Thank you for everybody who came out. I think we should do this twice a year, Bill. Well, we'll have to ask Joe Lisi to do it again maybe in the fall, you know? Yeah. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get Bob up from, from uh, Florida and he'll bring Donnie Brasco with him. Joe well, Stone. <laughs> actually, on June 3rd, a uh, very close friend of mine, Paul Martinez, he owns Paul's Police Equipment on 2630 East Tremont Avenue. Ralph and I are doing a book signing. Oh, cool, man. I'll stop yeah. by. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to come up there. So it'll be fun, you know. In, in the place there? Well, there ain't too much room. I said we may be on Tremont Avenue. Yeah, no, and it's I'm, I'm right by East Tremont Avenue. I'll, I'll just I'll come. 
Yeah, yeah. At my friend's what, what did you say? June third? Actually, yeah, I'm gonna put out I just made up a fly. It's gonna be June third at Paul's police equipment. Is it gonna be during the day? Because I know we have a yeah, show. Between there. twelve no. and five. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll yeah. be there. No, I live yeah. right, I live right down the block. Okay, yeah. So he's gonna he's gonna be there, Ralph and I. We're gonna have a little book. What's the time was twelve to what? Twelve to five. Yeah. And Paulie said he's given ten percent discount if they buy my book on anything in the store. <laughs> I don't know if he knows it yet, but I'm make it known. So, but Bob, in your police career, well, you did what, like twenty-one years? I did a total of. It's funny. I did twenty, twenty-four, about twenty, almost twenty-seven years between customs and corrections in the sheriff's office. But then when I retired, I took a job as a investigator with the Paramutual, which is the gambling. Uh -huh. I did that for the nine years because they, it was in the same pension system as oh, my coaching great. job. Yeah, so I was able to, I got, a, you know, I had 21 years. Oh, with so, so you're double dipping. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Somebody That's made a comment. They said they love that uh, word, double dipping. Double yeah. dipping. Actually, it was a lieutenant that worked in Manhattan North, and I think he was in Manhattan North Narcotics. My buddy, Tony Montavani, was his lieutenant. I just went blank on his name. Big Irish guy, nice guy. He double dipped when he got out. I think he was teaching. That's great. Well, he's got those big mitts. Yeah, man. He takes whatever he wants. He just takes whatever he wants. I want, I want some of that. I want to check this out. Yeah. God bless you, man. That's what hey, you know, you know, Bobby. This is the time of your life you want to enjoy everything. You got three successful kids. Right. You're still with the same woman you married, right? It's uh now you enjoy yourself, right? Yeah. You enjoy your double dipping at this point. Yeah, you, know? you got you know, you see too many things happening. Last year was a tough year for my family, and you know, I lost my brother and sister. Oh, I'm sorry. Within six months, you know, and it was like tough, and you, you really got to appreciate life, you know, and it, it's, you know, you hear, it's not only me, it's everywhere, you know, and it's like just trying to make the best of it. I always try to be a good person, you know, help people and do the right thing, you know. And Well, you, you know, Bob, you come across, and this is the first time I met you, you come across, you're, you are a good, you're a good guy. I can tell you're a good Thank guy, you. you know, and just what you're giving back as far as coaching and basketball, it's a fantastic thing, you know. And Enjoy. we all look. We all try to use sports to mo actually mold us into the people we are now. And I used to encourage my kids to do it. Right. And my one son was like a really good high school wrestler, and the other one saw more ceilings of gyms, meaning yeah. he was he was pinned almost every match. <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, they part yeah. he participated. You know. Hey, so, somebody's got to lose, man. You're right. Somebody's got to lose. Right. Yeah, get over your winners. I, I <laughs> always told, when I coached, I, you know, I made a lot of mistakes as a kid growing up. You know, uh, everybody always thinks they have it so rough. Somebody always has it worse. And what I always with my players, I always try to teach them from the mistakes I made and some things that happened to me. You know, and and you try to. That's what it's about. You know, and this generation is not easy. The kids, you know. No. Yeah. Uh, how's your one-on-one -on -one game? I can still shoot if I. I you call nine one one if I have to run up and down the court. <laughs> How old are you? How old am I? Yeah. I just turned sixty-six. I'll play you. All right, you got any money? <laughs> I'll shoot you. I'll shoot you for money, not a gun. I'll shoot you one-on-one. -on -one. We'll record it for the show. I'm fifty. I'm gonna we'll be go around the St. Raymond High School's around the corner. They must have a park out there. Yeah, right there. I'm fifty. I'm gonna be fifty-four. You're gonna kick my ass, and we'll put it on the show. I'm gonna kick your ass. I said I could out shoot you without even seeing you play. <laughs> well, that's all we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you the ball. You're gonna take in a shot. And then I'm gonna get all the right. rebound, and I'm gonna go back there. And Bob, right, you then you got you a chiropractor have... on there. What's that? You didn't have the three-pointer when you were in high school. No, we didn't have a twenty-four second clock either or 30 uh, seconds that's right that's wow right. yeah 
You remember the uh, the uh, four corner offense? Yeah, Dean Smith. Yeah, you guys would kill twenty minutes with that, right? Yeah. It was crazy. I think that's why they got the clock because well, of him. Yeah, that's the thing here. Down here, the high schools don't have a shot clock, and I think it's it's terrible. And the biggest problem is when they come to college, they can't adjust to a shot clock. You know? Yeah. Unless they play the one of these running gun teams, they just shoot why, it. And go. Why is that? Florida high schools they don't use a shot clock. I know in New York they're using a shot clock, I believe, but they don't use a shot clock here. So. I think it's great. Well, even if it was 40 seconds shot clock, you got to have a shot clock. Yeah, you watch an NBA game, there ain't no kid going to be holding up ball for 40 seconds. You watch it. Yeah. No, NBA but I'm just game. saying, if you know, you're right. For 40 seconds, better than three minutes. Yeah, no, I know. It's, you know you're holding I mean, on to like a three point lead. Right. You know? away from the game. You know, I think the shot clock could be to an advantage and a disadvantage, but not a shot clock, I think, hurts the game. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're we're up on an hour, Mark. I think we got to get to our closing remarks. Yeah, listen, uh, let, do, do uh, the Patreon thing and all the sure. things. Um, folks, just uh, if you like this show, please subscribe to us on uh, YouTube. And if you really like us, that's our Patreon address. You can uh, we have three tiers. Number one is the bucket for seven dollars a month. Uh, number two is polish my rack for nine the nine dollars a month. And the premier eleven dollars a month is dipped in butter, and you can dip whatever you want in butter. But that costs eleven dollars a month to watch us. Uh, we got some good things coming on with this show. We have uh, Joe Pistone, aka Donnie Brasco, coming on this Tuesday at eight p.m. And Bob, we would love for you in the future maybe to have you and uh, yourself and Joe Pistone on on a show together. Would you Would you like that? Absolutely, Joe. Like I said, we're like the uh, tag team. You know that 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 would be amazing. You know, but I didn't want to put you on together the first time because you both have so much to say apart from each other. So we wanted to get you uh, separately. And you know, Jay Wiley turned me on to you. Right, I know. Uh, I thanked him. He's a great guy, Jay Wiley. Yeah, really national, nice. Yeah, national uh, radio show on Law Enforcement right. today, Jay Wiley. Uh, anyway. Mark, you got any closing remarks? No. I, once again, I just want to say thank you to everybody that came out. Uh, thank you to Joe Lisi, first of all, for um, for hosting the event. Uh, the uh, the the uh, I didn't try the pizza. I'm sure it was. I saw everybody else having it, but I I was so caught up in how delicious their vodka was. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't just I couldn't get past it. So if you're in New York City. Or you're planning to visit New York City? Please stop off at Bardo. It's 350 West 46th Street. Um, they have brick oven pizza there. They have uh, amazing tasting vodka, and you'll have a great time. And Bob, thank you so much for coming on as a guest. And we're going to stay in touch. And I'd love to have you come back on again by either by yourself or with Joe Pistone. Oh, thank you so much. This is fun. I'm glad I got to talk with you guys and people out there and like i said on june 3rd we're having that book signing if anybody's interested in the book it's on amazon i'm coming i'm coming i'm, I'm gonna pass by there and say what's up june 3rd what, what day of the week is that uh there's the book thursday. right there the thursday. thursday yeah i'll definitely yeah. be there i'll shoot you a text with the info just to remind you all right, cool, man. I'm looking. I owe you a book. I know I gave your partner a book. I owe you a book. So. <laughs> I know. I can tell. I can tell you're a good dude, man. Uh, Thanks. Same here. Pay off for that. I don't, Thanks, I don't guys. Have to towards many people, but I can tell you're a good dude. Appreciate that. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. You're a great guest, and we look forward to having you back. Thanks, man. Be safe. Good night, all you police off the cuff fans. Good night, Mark and Bob. Thanks again. Same pleasure. Later, guys. <laughs>